RN, Pause, Renew, Next, a podcast about soul care, scripture, and stories of faith. Hi friends, I'm Jenny Detweiler, and on the day that I'm recording this episode, we are smack dab in the middle of social distancing. My kids are in their rooms having some quiet time after lunch, my husband's doing a house project, and here I am with my cup of coffee talking to you. Today's episode is a biography. I never thought I would grow up to do book reports voluntarily, but here I am. I love doing biographies of women of faith. I like to choose women who inspire me and I feel have much to teach us. And today's subject definitely fits that description. We're going to be talking about Phyllis Wheatley. Now, like Sojourner Truth, who I talked about in a previous biography episode, Phyllis Wheatley is a famous African-American woman of U.S. history. Chances are her name is familiar to you, and you probably learned about her a long time ago in your history class. My guess is, though, that for many of you, your memories of her story are vague. So I'm happy to fill in some details for you today. Phyllis Wheatley is remembered as a famous poet, but she was also a great woman of faith. So let's dive into her story. Between 1700 and 1808, about 6 million Africans arrived in the Americas as slaves. Phyllis Wheatley was one of them. Of course, when she arrived as a girl of about seven years old, she was not named Phyllis Wheatley. In fact, she didn't even speak English. No one knows what language she actually spoke, and no one's exactly sure where in Africa she was born. But it is believed that she was from either Senegal or Gambia. She was one of about 74 slaves that arrived in Boston on July 11, 1761. Originally, there had been 95 enslaved persons aboard that ship. They were kidnapped from their home in Africa. But two months later, after crossing the Atlantic and arriving in Boston, only 74 of them were still alive. Phyllis was one of those, but she was small and sickly. She was missing her front baby teeth, which is part of the reason it's assumed she was about the age of seven when she arrived. In fact, she was in bad enough health that as a slave, she was considered refuse, a word used to talk about slaves who were old, sick, or injured. Susanna Wheatley saw her and felt sympathy for her. She bought her for a small sum and brought her home. Susanna's husband, John Wheatley, was a merchant and tailor, and they had twins, Mary and Nathaniel. At the time they brought Phyllis to their home, the twins were around 18 years old. The Wheatleys named her Phyllis after the ship which brought her from Africa, and it was called the Charming Phyllis, or simply the Phyllis. She became the personal servant of Susanna Wheatley, and in some ways, she was treated like a part of the family. Pretty quickly, they discovered that Phyllis was very smart and gifted. The twins, Nathaniel and Mary, tutored Phyllis, and by the age of nine, only two years after arriving in America, she had learned to speak, read, and write in English. She had access to a dictionary, and they gave her a place to write. She also studied literature, poetry, history, Latin, and Greek. Some of her favorite authors included Alexander Pope and Homer and Ovid. In fact, she spent more time studying than she did working at the Wheatley home. In the early 19th century, anti-literacy slave codes were passed so that slaves could not read or write. But Phyllis Wheatley lived before that time, so it didn't apply to her. 
Even so, it was not at all common practice to educate slaves. Actually, Phyllis was educated beyond what even most white women were at the time. Susanna Wheatley also made sure Phyllis was educated spiritually and made sure that she spent time in Bible study as well. Phyllis began writing poetry for fun, and she got better and better at what she was doing. In 1767, when she was around 14 years old, her work was first published in the Newport Road Island Mercury. Quite a feat. Around this time in American history, about 1770, there was a lot of tension and conflict between England and the American colonies. Phyllis clearly agreed with the Patriot side and wrote two poems that proved her loyalty. She had a deep and abiding faith and a great respect for the Reverend George Whitefield. If you don't know who he was, he was a very famous preacher of the day, and he could draw crowds of thousands and preach for hours without even needing a microphone. Pretty impressive. I can't imagine his set of lungs. He was also friends with Benjamin Franklin. When he died, Phyllis wrote a poem in his honor. It was the poem that would make her famous, and it was called An Elegiac Poem on the Death of That Celebrated, Divine, and Eminent Servant of Jesus Christ, the Reverend and Learned George Whitefield. Now that's a mouthful, but actually, it seems that most of her poems were named really long things like that. A lot longer than we would name them today, let's just say that. At first, it was put out as a pamphlet but it was reprinted in 1771. This poem made her well-known not just in the colonies, but in Great Britain as well. Phyllis kept writing. She wrote more poems and more poems, and by 1772, she had enough to compile a book. Now, writing a book is hard even in our day. You have to have support, a reading audience, and a publisher. Add to that being a female African-American slave in the 1700s, and the task was enormous. At the time, many people believed that her writing was a fraud. It was hard for people to believe that a slave could have written so eloquently. In order to deal with this dilemma, she got prominent men of Boston to sign an attestation that she had actually written her own poems. Some of the people who signed the attestation were John Hancock, Massachusetts Governor Thomas Hutchinson, and Lieutenant Governor Andrew Oliver. Then, a copy of the document was put in the British Chronicle and Lloyd's Evening Post and publicized the next year. In fact, once her book was finally published, a copy of the attestation was included to make sure that everybody knew and verify that she was indeed the author. Phyllis set about getting support for her book. She wrote a poem about the Earl of Dartmouth, then sent him a copy of the poem. He had been named the Secretary of State of the Colony, and was a really important figure. By gaining his support, she was helped in getting her work published in England. She also had a connection to Selina Hastings, the Countess of Huntingdon. The Countess's friend and personal chaplain had been the Reverend George Whitefield. So, of course, the Countess favored Phyllis and invited her to England to help her look for a publisher for her book. She played such a key role in supporting Phyllis that later... Phyllis dedicated her book to the Countess. In 1773, Phyllis went with Nathaniel Wheatley to London, where her book was to be published. She was becoming pretty well-known and was able to visit pretty famous people and important people who were political and social thinkers of the time while she was in London. Some of these people included the abolitionist Granville Sharp, 
William Legg, second Earl of Dartmouth, and our founding father, Benjamin Franklin. She also was planning to meet the Countess of Huntingdon while she was there because she'd done so much to help her. But before she could, she had to return to Boston because Susanna Wheatley had become ill. Now, the fact that Phyllis went to England was very important because there was a famous case in 1772 called the Somerset Case in which Lord Mansfield ruled that if an enslaved person was taken to England, they couldn't be sold back into slavery. This may have actually been a factor in why Phyllis chose to publish her book in England rather than the colonies. Going to England meant that she could be free. Her book, Poems on Various Subjects, Religious and Moral, was published on September 1st, 1773. Here, I just need to stop and explain just how momentous this was. This book is considered to be the first book of poetry written in English by a woman of African descent. She was called an extraordinary poetical genius. And to add to this, her book was published by the time she was 20 years old. Pretty phenomenal. Phyllis returned to Massachusetts from London in September of 1773 to help care for Susanna Wheatley, who was ill. Soon after returning from England, she was officially set free by the Wheatleys. Now, this wasn't just out of goodwill, because while she was in England and she was talked about in the newspapers, they wrote some pretty critical and condemning things about the Wheatleys. Critics condemned them in the papers for continuing to keep Phyllis enslaved. Once the Wheatleys had officially freed her, Phyllis sent a copy of her manumission papers to a contact in Great Britain to make sure that they stayed safe. Around this time, Britain and the colonies were heading towards war. George Washington had been named Commander-in-Chief of the Continental Army. Phyllis Wheatley really admired him, and she wrote him a poem. She sent it to him to read, and Washington wrote her back saying how honored he was and how much he loved the poem she wrote about him. He even said that he would have published it to show off her talents, but felt that people would think it was vain on his part. So instead, he sent it to Lieutenant Colonel Joseph Reed, who published it instead in the Pennsylvania Magazine. Now that just makes me laugh that George Washington felt that that was going to be vain. I just think that's funny. Now Susanna Wheatley did not recover from her illness, and she died in 1774, three months after they freed Phyllis Wheatley from slavery. Nathaniel Wheatley passed away shortly before, and in 1778, both John and Mary Wheatley also passed away. After this point, without their support, Phyllis had difficulty selling and publishing her poems. In addition to that difficulty, the fact that the Revolutionary War was in progress meant that many of her readers obviously had their attention elsewhere. She did actually write a second book and tried to have it published in 1779, but couldn't find enough subscribers to be able to publish it. Sadly, that manuscript has been lost, and that's a real tragedy. Even though the Wheatleys treated Phyllis in many ways like she was a member of the family, it was clear that in other ways, she was still very much a slave in their minds. When John died, his will gave most of his estate to the children. Nothing was left to Phyllis. In 1778, soon after the death of John Wheatley, Phyllis married a free black man named John Peters. They were married on Thanksgiving of 1778 on November 26th. Not that the rest of Phyllis's life was not a tragedy, because clearly, if you're listening to her story, we could talk about all the traumas that she's been through, and it was a lot. But from here on out, her life really goes downhill. 
Life was very hard for free black people living in New England. It was hard to find a job and incomes were really low. Her husband was unable to find and keep a steady job. It's believed that Phyllis and John lived in poverty. Her husband worked many jobs, including being a lawyer, a grocer, a writer, and a speaker. Now, the details of her life differ slightly at this point. Like, I read different accounts, but basically, it's believed that she had three children, although the records of their births and deaths have not been found. She became a scullery maid at one point in a boarding house to help make ends meet. Now, just imagine that. She had traveled to England, met Benjamin Franklin, been talked about by George Washington kindly, and here she is, a scullery maid now. On December 5th, 1784, Phyllis died, and it's believed she died due to complications of childbirth. They think her newborn died the same day. She was 31 years old. She and her infant were buried together in an unmarked grave. So I feel like I just need to be silent for a minute and let all that sink in. That's just a really sad way to go. Although Phyllis wrote until her death, she never published again after the Wheatleys died. In 1834, though, 50 years after she died, Memoir and Poems of Phyllis Wheatley was published. Letters of Phyllis Wheatley, the Negro slave poet of Boston, was published in 1864. So now, why would I choose to do a biography about Phyllis Wheatley on a faith podcast? It seems more like a history podcast. Well, you know, her faith was really important to her, and it shows up a lot in her writing. Phyllis was baptized in 1771, although actually some of her views were pretty controversial, to say the least. She came to believe that God's sovereignty included the slavery of African Americans. Her most famous poem, called On Being Brought from Africa to America, was written when she was 14, and it's considered to be one of the most hated poems in African American literature. Yeah, I just got to stop here and say that um, reading biographies and putting these together is kind of an interesting thing because just like figures in the Bible... (laughs) Uh, There are no saints that are perfect, and their views don't always hold up to what we would think. So I think it's important to know that um, she was a work in progress. She wrote this when she was 14 at a different point in history. And so her story is complicated, and her views probably for a lot of good reasons. But that's what she believed. She felt that in God's sovereignty, she was brought to America so that she would be able to be introduced to Jesus. Now, that was one view that she held, but then there was the other side. On the other hand, she didn't embrace slavery and actually believed that it was pretty evil. She also writes in some of her poems and letters that she was opposed to the slave trade. In fact, she was brave enough to criticize the paradox and double standard that was found among Christians who owned slaves. So although some of her work was controversial, On the other hand, she was also loved by the abolitionist movement because her work was used to argue that African Americans were not intellectually inferior. They also used her work to push for more educational opportunities for African Americans. Her faith was real in every sense of the word. She was brave enough to talk about it and put it into writing. Even though her life was full of adversity, trauma, tragedy, contradictions, and prejudice, Phyllis praised God. She saw him as good 
and she wrote about his mercy and love. This is very inspiring to me because if we were to live in her shoes, how many of us would have remained so steadfast? I love biographies because they have much to teach us. Our lives create not just stories, but legacies. Phyllis Wheatley's life certainly did that. Although her children did not live to pass on her name, her words are recorded for all time and still inspire people today. How much did you learn today about Phyllis Wheatley and what resonated with you from her story? I'd love to hear about it. Comment under today's show notes or join the conversation on PRN's Facebook page. If you know someone who would like this episode, feel free to share it. You can find this podcast at the website pauserenewnext.com or you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, CastBox, or your favorite podcasting app so you don't miss an episode. Do me a favor and leave a review. That helps new people more easily find this podcast. Well, I'm Jenny Detweiler with PRN. Pause, renew, next. The podcast. May you be encouraged on your journey with Jesus. Jesus.